1: that covered uh, Deuteronomy through 16, from verse 18 through 21, verse 9. Before we go to my spiel about this topic or this, this, this Torah portion, the various things about it is being listed here, uh, any comments or questions or things you would like to ask about this because I may or may not get to whatever your personal questions are because um, I have my own commentary on this which may not cover what you want to talk about. So before we go to my, sh- <clears throat> to my spiel, any comments or questions? Yes, uh, Daniel.
2: Uh, this is really quick. It has to do with the regulations for the king.
1: Yes. You know, it, it says uh, the king has to write his own copy of
2: Torah. Correct. Does that mean that when Messiah returns, he will also have to write a copy of the Torah? Well,
1: since I imagine he has it memorized, it shouldn't take much effort. <laughs> <laughs> um, Principle-wise, uh, the, yeah, the, the idea would be, yes, what, whatever that looks like. Um, now, in my text, it specifies copies, plural. So we imply more than one. Um, it, it, need two or more copies, of the Torah that he would have to write. And the idea being either it's referring to, like, here's a complete set, so here's another complete set, or referring to, for example, our books are broken up into, you know, uh, 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 a better sheet and, and, and the, all the Genesis X all the different sections the copies might be a copy of each of them plural or many copies of all of it I'm not positive I can't swear to it what it means to me um, I believe it is Jewish tradition it is a tradition mind you which Messiah hinted at because he knew the story that uh, kings were supposed to copy it down correctly but the tradition of course is that Solomon made a
2: thank you um, a modification in his well, this must body. be wrong man I see there's no. two McChickens in this but that's not mine yeah, mute yeah thank you um, no, the, the, the tradition that uh, that Messiah
1: hinted at this too the phrase is that not, not one yod or not will be removed from the law until all is fulfilled well, if you change one of the phrases, one of the words here in Hebrew, the king shall multiply wives for himself. You change from a, a vav to a yod, so the king shall multiply wives for himself. Modifying a single letter, which looks very, very similar to the yod and, and the vav. Well, it's modern-day Hebrew. I'm not sure what it looked like then, Solomon's time. And it's a joke because King Solomon did the exact opposite. He, he multiplied immensely. Many things he could possibly do for himself, um, and so it was a joke that it was common, commonly taught to children that the kings are supposed to copy it correctly, but King Solomon, of course, didn't copy his copy correctly on purpose, that believing that he was wise enough. This is the, the so the term, interpretation goes, believing he was wise enough to not have his heart divided in spite of the number of wives he would have had. Um, Believing he was so wise, he could not be uh, turned. And then, of course, recycling law, that not one yod or stroke mark, meaning reference King Solomon, not even his little marks that he may have tweaked will be allowed, that, that they will still be true regardless if they get tweaked or modified. It doesn't make a difference that the, the principle stays strong, uh, a, a smack in the face would speak to the Sol- King Solomon story. So, it, you know, which I wouldn't put a past in. I wouldn't say King Solomon didn't do it. It's not my business. Uh, but that's the tradition. So, uh, the, the idea that, yeah, the king is supposed to make a full, complete copy, and the priests are supposed to verify the copy, and the king is supposed to, of course, read the copy regularly in order to remind himself where his position actually is, not as absolute authority, authority over it, but rather a servant. The points out here, the purpose that he's not become haughty, his heart not be lifted up over the subjects. And that was the objective of the copying of the Torah, that he knows where his place actually is. It is a servant, not a, a, a dictator, so to speak, not, not, not the king in the traditional king of kings. That was the idea behind it. Uh, but yeah, he makes no copy. So I assume, Messiah, I'm sure he has the word memorized, um, could probably make his own copy. And I'm sure since he has the power of God with him, he can probably have it written for himself, too. <laughs> he so chose. I'm not sure his own hand. Who knows? Any uh, comments or questions about this topic?
0: Well, maybe that's what they talk about with the word of the Lord going out on the time of the Messianic era. That
1: is totally fair. That is a fair interpretation. Uh, that may be the intent that that, that that will go out in that capacity. They'll be able to dictate or send it out in that way.
2: Um, so I guess Larry has a question. Uh go ahead Larry. Okay, I was when I was listening I was struck with the fact that you know when the woman was caught supposedly caught in adultery yes. and the, the Lord the Lord wrote sat down we we wonder what exactly he was writing in the in the in the dirt or something but there's one thing in there that actually seems appropriate he said let the, let he who is without sin cast the first stone but it also could be let he who is the witness cast the first stone. And then, that is fair too. Yeah. So I was thinking too. that was pretty startling to me. The, yeah, the, the, the,
1: the, yeah, the phrase there, um, since which I find fascinating, it it, it is um, it can be interpreted multiple ways because although the Greek may mean one thing, uh, the when you retranslate back into Hebrew again, it implies it can be either one of witness or uh, out since Hard to say. And it's totally legitimate. So that is a fair fair interpretation, and I'm not sure who wit- the witness would wind up being, because yeah, why are you watching?
2: But <laughs> that's a <all> whole other problem.
1: <laughs> but anyhow, uh, yeah, the witness is supposed to cast the first stone. That is the accuser. That is the job, the functionality. Because if you are not willing to do that, uh, it's supposed to be part of you. All right, you become a false witness. You're not willing to 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 do the the correction in that capacity. Any comments or questions before I go into my spiel? So we started out, of course, in chapter 16, verse 18 is where it began, the judges and officers. So it is important to understand the principle of this concept. Uh, mind you, there's a bit, of, a bit of reading to do today, which I might be able to get to all of it or not. I'm not positive. Uh, we'll try. Let's, there, it is the principle, the idea of a judge or an officer. Is they must, putting a judge alone, for example, is not a sufficient task. That is insufficient to do a job. They must actually judge justly. I mean, judge correctly, a judgment is full of just. So, for example, you can have a judge that is unjust. Let's go visit one, shall we? Let's go to Judges chapter 9. Here's an unjust judge, which we're all very familiar with because even King David uh, cites him as an example of you know, a fool. So here's an unjust judge, deceptive of a elect- I'm not going to read the entire story of his because it is very lengthy. I read a portion of it just to example of, of understand the nature of this particular judge and see how far along we get here. So Judges chapter nine, we read about an unjust judge, which is a judge which is the, is, 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 uh, takes over or is in control of to make good, good judgments. And of course, he does not do so and the people themselves don't correct him. There's an interesting concept that a just judge, if he is unjust, it is the responsibility of the individual people to actually correct him, to fix the unjustness in him. So, Judges of deny it says, And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them, and with all the family, of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Erebel reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. His mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-be-earth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jeroboam, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left because he hid himself. All of Shechem gathered together all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Stop there for a minute. So we have an example of a, of a judge, this is Abimelech, who will rule, by the way, for a few years here who is chosen of his own accord to rule. Now note, what are his credentials, by the way, of judgeship? In this case, it is, is it his uh, just a righteous judgment in the past of his history? Has he made good judgments or good uh, corrections or good righteous decisions in the past, uh, being fair to people? No, his, his uh, claim to fame is, I am your own flesh and bone. I'm a relative. That is his qualifications he has selected. And the people then selected and agreed with him. So a just judge is not only the man must be just, but the people themselves must actually enforce the just requirement. And it it's their responsibility to do so. If they fail to do so, you get what you deserve.
2: Verse 7 says, Now when they told it to Jotham,
1: he went and stood upon the Mount of Erezim, lifted his voice and cried out and said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil, with which they honor God and men, and go sway over trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit, and go sway over trees? Then the trees of the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vines and to them, should I cease my new vine, which cheers both God and men, and go sway over trees? That all the trees of the bramble, you come and reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Pause for a minute. So Jotham's analogy he has here of the various trees, he's citing examples of, there are trees that are of value, which means they produce good fruit. Mind you, you know someone's righteousness by the fruit they produce, right? That's how we judge someone. Do they produce good fruit or do they produce bad fruit? That's a principle of all Judaism and all Christianity. Do they produce good fruit or bad fruit? He points out they, they choose examples of trees that produce good fruit. You have good righteousness, good credentials, good worthy tasks, good effort, good goodness in your background. Come rule over us. And the, those who were good said, no, I would have to stop doing what is good to reign over you. They, of course, chose not to. The bramble, however, which, of course, produces a fruit in the form of you know, blackberry bush, blackberries and such, but it's very, very painful when you get from them. And of course, they burn up very quickly in fires. That is the one that has been chosen to right rain over trees. Now, brambles, however, of course, are are, are bushes. They're, they're binding bushes in the ground. not really designed to be a tree, per se, but they're supposed to rain over a tree in this case. And the, the cedars of Lebanon have claimed this as their king. So they've chosen someone who is not a good individual who produces pain and suffering of a black as their king, or as their judge, their ruler. Here in verse 16. Now, therefore, if you acted in truth and sincerity, making Abimelech a king, and you have dealt well with Jerobel and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But if you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone, and made Abimelech the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother, if then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jerobbel and with his house to stay, then rejoice in Bimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Bimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the Beth-Milo, and let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth-Milo and devour Bimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled. He went to Beir and dwelt there, for fear of Bimelech, his brother. So, of minute. So he's pointing out that you have an unjust judge over you. With your unjust judge, you get what you deserve. You selected one that was unjust, and now the unjustness will devour him and vice versa. You devour, he, it, your, his unjustness devours him and it devours you. So it's, it's a combination of both get destroyed by the unjust judge. Uh, verse 22, after Abimelech had raided for Israel for three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the seventy sons of Jerobel might be settled, and their blood be laid upon Abimelech and their, their brother, who killed them, and the Meshechem who aided in him in the killing of his brothers. Meshechem sent men in ambush against him on the tops of mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and was told to Abimelech, the minute. I'm not gonna read this entire story because it's very very lengthy. But the process was his process uh, of ambush. A treachery, back and forth, back and forth. between Abimelech and the Ben of Shechem, they wind up fighting back and forth. A big old fire and everything else happens. A lot of lot of destruction occurs. Um, I'm going to go bypass most rest of chapter of chapter uh, nine and jump down the end. going to read this whole thing, it's it's very late lengthy. Want to cover other stuff too, but uh, by, by the bottom line is that Abimelech winds up fighting against his supporters, Shechem, as well as they fight against him. And the supporters Shechem and Milo get burned up and destroyed. Abimelech does too. Jump down to verse 50, discuss the end of Abimelech, their unrighteous judge. Verse 59 says, Then Abimelech went to thebez and he camped against Thebez and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city. All the men and women and all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves up in it. They went up the top of the tower. Abimelech came as far as a tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his arm bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, A woman has killed him. This young man thrust him through, and he died. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his own place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his seventy brothers and all the evil men of Shechem. God returned above their own heads, and on then came the curse of Jotham, the son of Drobel. So, you have an example of an unjust judge took took upon himself to become judge. He coerced his way in by convincing people to vote for him, so to speak, in spite of his disqualification or lack of qualities to be a good judge, and he did not pursue justice. So, I ask you
2: when you have a judge that doesn't produce justice, is he a just judge? No. A judge is only good if he pursues justice, not just any justice, but just justice. If I pursue justice that is not just, what am I? I'm perverted. I'm twisted. I'm
1: an unjust individual. Does it make sense? Hence the Torah: you must put a judge that produces just. The judge is justly pursues righteousness, that is, rights just people correctly. He should not pervert judgment, as verse nineteen says. He should not respect someone's presence. Mind you, what was Abimelech's technique? Respect my presence. Why? Because I am your relative. I'm like you. What good is that? That's what he did, and they they, they bent their will toward him. So he did not respect one's presence. And here's verse nineteen. Also, do not accept the bribe. The bri- no, what did Abimelech receive? Seventy pieces of silver.
2: Yeah. Uh huh. Also. For the bride will blind the eyes of the wise and make words crooked. Verse 20,
1: just justice or righteous righteousness shall you pursue so that you will live and possess the land that you have all your God gives you. So we select judges or deal with judges, not just judges, but also officers, because it says here in verse, verse 18, that you have to judge, sorry, appoint judges as well as officers. Mind you, officer's job is to carry out what the judge dictates, judge says, what his orders are. Uh, there's they, they, they must pursue what is right. If they
2: do not pursue what is right, they are not just. And what do you do? Get rid of them. Chuck them out. Here's the boot. Delete them from your from, from, from your roster, so to speak. Let's see here. Also, of course, this this uh this example of this is a good example. So there's also a list here. So you shall not verse nineteen.
1: You should not pervert. You should, you should not respect someone's presence. What does it mean to not or to respect someone's presence? Think of that for a minute. Don't answer. Just think about it. To respect someone's presence. Now imagine you are a judge. scratch that. Better yet, imagine you're a plaintiff. <laughs> you're going before a judge. You got an issue with Joe Schmooing over there. No offense, Joe. Uh, you say, hey, Joe Schmooley offended me. He did X, Y, Z to me and my family. Therefore, a uh, ruling really should be going against him, money-wise or whatever, it doesn't make a difference, to rectify this problem. You go for a judge. This is your plan. You're, you're going. Then You don't know the judge. We'll call him, you know, Jim Schmooley. Maybe he's a brother. Who knows? All right. Some other judge. And judge says, hey, hi, Joe. How's it going? How was last weekend's party? It was great. I had a great time. Oh, uh, what's, your plan- what's your plan against him? Now, if a judge respects an individual. I'm I'm, I'm obviously being off the top on purpose. But just respect the individual shows deference to him? What does that do to you in your heart, in your mind, in your
2: soul? Regardless of what the words you're going to say, do you perceive, regardless of even how how the outcome comes out, even if it comes out in your favor, do you think inside your spirit, in your heart and soul, that this is going to be a just judgment? No, of course not. It would be ridiculous. You, did the, you
1: believe the judge is, is now showing deference. Now, we may think, well, it's very difficult to show no deference, no preference. The judge is almost emotionless and clinical and cold-hearted at all times.
2: But honestly, that's the best way of doing it. It really is. We think, well, that's, you know, okay, you can't always... Well, no, wait a minute. A wise judge,
1: he's trained or does his best to pursue that. let That's an example so we have a wise judge what it was not like like a great example which you think this is crude and, and 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 repulsive but guess what it works so first kings chapter 3 example of a, of a proper judge a proper justice a proper example first
2: kings chapter 3 uh, we're going to jump to verse uh, what is it verse 16 This is a great example of a just judge. and I want you to pay attention, not the outcome, not the circumstances, but what
1: Solomon is doing. Pay attention to the judge himself. His words he's choosing, his actions, his attitude, as best you can interpret. Pay attention to what he's doing, not the woman. Verse 16 of 1 Kings 3, it says, Two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, My lord, this woman and I, dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth, this one also gave birth, and we were together. There was no one with us in the house, except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept, and laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. When I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. The other one then said, no, but the living one is my son. The dead one is your son. The first one said, no, but the dead one is your son. The living one is my son. Thus they spoke to the king. The king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is dead, it is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, one and my son living one. The king said, bring me a sword. So he brought the sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. The woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son and said, "Oh my lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the king said, let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. The king answered and said, give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Now we know this story very very well. It's obviously the, it's it's a the, the imagined thought. Okay, yeah, we have this problem. Oh, do I'll just cut that child and happen, then we're all good. Now, note the purpose of the functionality is to show the callousness. Now, mind you, we think of today. Oh, no judge would ever do that. Mind you, these aren't the judges of the United States. These are kings, and if they say, oh, you know what, uh, kill that one and then kill that one and let that one live. Guess what? That one dies, that one dies, that one lives. When you go before a king, it is warned, and the Torah warned you, go before a king, be they choose who lives and who dies. It, it's by their, their arbitrary choice. So there's no reason to perceive Solomon did not actually intend to kill the child. But the point is, he does not show emotion of, oh, I'm so sorry. Then he just says, okay, here's the case. You're arguing this. You're saying, okay, we'll just kill the
2: child. And divide it up, all good. If you're either one's case, do you perceive your case is being heard more fair than the other one?
1: Now, the goal of the judge is to make sure either plaintiff or the defendant, whatever the case it be, neither one perceives one has deference. So in this case, not deferred, well, we'll just fix the problem, slice it in half,
2: both women are satisfied. Problem solved, next. That's a cold-hearted approach. But that's the goal. That shows no deference. That's just no preferential treatment. Nothing. That's the objective.
1: That's what you want a judge to have. There's no preference. There's no emotional plea. If you have a judge that bends his will toward emotional plea, you have a worthless judge. If you have judges that, that, that listen to emotional arguments, you have a worthless judge. Because now it just matters how good is my sob story versus Joe Schmooley's. Or, yeah, yeah, because Bob should is the judge. Yeah. Just really... <laughs> okay, right here. If, if my sob story sounds better, I win. If my lawyer uses better words than the guy does, then I win. That is not the kind of judge you want. You're the judge that does not show preference, does not indicate an emotional bend one way or the other. Uh, that it's it's I won't go into politics, but politics is a similar problem. Is that when you use emotional arguments, it sounds great. Oh, my heartstrings are pulled. Get rid of the politician. They're junk. Go go away. You don't want someone who bends their will to an emotional argument or what feels right. That is a disaster. Because now you have deference. So you're, oh, if I can pick a particular heartstring, therefore I get preference and they don't. Yay, I win. Even though I'm corrupt, who cares? As long as we have the right heartstrings. So, when it with just judges, it's really, really important. We actually
2: want the ones use the term they're almost heartless. That's ones that actually are more clinical. Say, okay, what is fair? What is not fair?
1: That's we have just judgments. How do we fix these problems that are actually occur? Because if we do things that are emotional, pleading, then the argument or the best the better arguer wins. An unjust judge. The two examples of so Abimelech and Solomon are great judge examples. One being just, one being unjust. One used a biological and emotional argument about how great he was because he's your relative, and then one used no argument of this nature. Said, "No, we're doing a clinical clinical, clinical process. Uh, we're going to, <laughs> yeah, use a sword. They both use swords, just different ways. Okay, so let's move move past this a little bit. Uh, let's see, just just okay." In the principle, we're looking at judges and judgments honor judgments in general, the idea itself, the Torah command that this falls under is the honor your father and mother section. So, when you look at the Torah, the Ten Commandments, we break the the, the whole, you know, I'm the Lord your God, you know, no murder, blah, blah, blah. In the category of honor your father and mother, that's you follow the judges fall into that category. So, the, the Deuteronomy section we're discussing today, but most fall into that category, the honor your father and mother. Because... The judge is supposed to be over you much like a parent is supposed to be over you as your child, of course, when you're going to adult, not this is the case, but you're to honor them. That's the nature of the emotional or the, not emotional, the, 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 the mental deference to the judge is supposed to be mentally deference to your parents. The relationship is the same. Child to parent as, as, as adult is to judge. That relationship is supposed to be mimicked. So to honor one's father and mother, you honor one's a judge so and over you, the same principle. So we have the same idea when God says, that's on your father and mother, days belong." You shall have just judges and you shall honor the judges and their instructions that your days
2: will be long. Same idea, same instructions. Um, A judge does not produce just justice does not honor his father or mother, does he?
1: A judge that produces unjust justice is not honoring anyone, but whoever he bent his will to or himself. So he himself be dishonorable. It's it's important to remember that we don't, don't don't misunderstand the value of good judges versus worthless ones. Uh, before I jump, of le- Sixteen. I have A little bit of time left on this one. Um, the last two verses. It seems out of place, but this is also important too. Uh, this falls a little. Goes into the next example when it comes to uh, the, tor- the the commands of the Ten Commandments. But t- t- verse twenty-one and 20, it, the twenty-two. The, the ending there. You should not plant. It, it seems out of place. I'm, it's, I, I get that. Let's recover this. It isn't, but it just seems that way. You should not plant for yourselves any tree any tree near the altar, blah, blah, blah the pillars, everything else, whatnot. Uh, the whole point of that, basically, because the adulterous tree or any other tree, for that matter, or, or, or some pillar you've done, you have
2: now mixed your God and worship your God with something else you've mixed two
1: or three or more religious viewpoints or processes or or, or techniques or
2: worship techniques or worship methods together. You now have a corrupt system. You don't get to mix them. So
1: God does not like mixing practices. And we discussed earlier when uh, Teresa had asked regarding uh, the topic of appointments and such before we had, uh, had the recording beginning today, uh, there, there are things which God has appointments for and there are instructions he lists out and some he does not list out, but there are certain ones. He said, Hey, you're going to do it this way. He also has lists over here. that says, you will not do these things. Okay. We don't get to take the, the do not do's and the do do's and we don't get to mix them together. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> That's part of the do not do's don't do that. And so this is one of the examples he has a lot of examples of do not do's, uh, So uh, don't do the worship of of idols or other gods, mixing them in your practice or your techniques of how you worship your God. He doesn't like the mixture. Uh, in, In a manner of speaking, it's perverting justice, another way. And that God said, this is the method which you will follow, and this method which you will not follow. When you mix what you will not do with what you will do, you now have a corrupt system that's no longer legitimate.
2: Uh, yes. Unmute yourself so we can hear you, dear. We can't hear you with you're muted. You can't unmute it. Oh, you, you turned your video off. You didn't unmute yourself. We still can't hear you. If the video's back on, but, you, but your microphone's turned off, dear. Oh, now it's on. Now we can okay. hear you. Okay. We did it. Uh, does, that mean, uh, does that mean if you're in church, you shouldn't put a Christmas tree in there?
1: Um, if you want my direct, honest, true judgment opinion, of yes, course sir. you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. That'd be disgraceful. Oh, thank now, you. Now, I admit I don't own churches. Yeah, I don't own buildings in that capacity, <laughs> but if I did, that would be disgraceful. You have mixed two things together. For example, mixing Sunday versus Shabbat or mixing Easter or Christmas or Halloween with any of those things with, with God's appointed times, those are mixtures. Now you have a perverted system. You have a mix of what is just and what is unjust thrown together. You now have a warped viewpoint, a warped way of what is right and what is wrong. So you can't mix them in God's realm. He does not like that. Uh, and I'm going to use this term loosely because I happen to like it this way. You may disagree. When I have God set over here and an idol set over here and I put them together, what have I now done? I made the idol equal with my God. Now, if I truly am a judge and I say, okay, idol lays your case out, God lay your case out, which one's right? The idol can't talk. He doesn't even have a seat at the table. But the God can talk. So when I put them next to each other, I have actually lifted the idol from the rock it was down here and lifted it up, almost giving preferential treatment to it, to as if it is equal with God, the plaintiff over here. So when I lift a rock up, that is a piece of, it's a stone or a piece of wood or whatever, I ro- rose it up or a Christmas tree that's supposed to grow out there and get burned by wildfire. (laughs) If I raise it up, and this is what I made equal to my God, I have now elevated it where it doesn't belong. I've given preference, something that does not deserve preference. Don't do that. So God doesn't like the mixture. So I view it in that particular way. You may not view it that way. That's perfectly fine. But, and I also equate the same concept of, well, I worship my God like this over here, even though he said to worship me like that over there. I'm still worshiping God. I still think of God during Christmas time. But, um, yeah. It sounds like
2: you're worshiping yourself. Right. Your
1: own own viewpoint, your own opinion, your own philosophy. The idea that, well, this honors God too, that's rubbish, garbage. He specified you'll worship me in this fashion, in this way, and you will not do it this way over here. When I say, but God, I disagree with you. I'm going to follow this way that you said not do. I'm going to put it over here on the do side. So uh, I've now distorted what is right. So it's important to understand that God has this, these rules about mixing stuff. So don't mix justice with injustice. Don't mix his worship with, with things that should not be worshiped. Uh, don't use emotional arguments when there should be, clinical argument that is fair and just, uh, do things that are right according to his
2: instructions. Okay, let's move on. Uh, murder. A great story about murder. Any questions on chapter 16? So we'll move on to chapter 17, which is
1: murder. So death penalties and idol worshippers, and all this is the good stuff. Uh, yeah, we don't get to murder people. That really hasn't changed much. <laughs> uh, God is defiant here, of course, example. This is not, this is not the only place to find define, in the book of Numbers as well what is, what is not murder. Uh, the execution of someone who is, who is decreed to be executed it is not classified as murder because the judgment is to kill them. Uh, we don't, for example, killing a murderer is not murdering the killer. You are killing the murderer. Um, so that is acceptable, excuse uh, me. So th- those are all those details. Uh, in this example, in chapter 17, uh, you'll notice there are a few examples that, that he rattles off here of, 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 of details. So in verse four, it says, you will inquire diligently. It, it says, to, so when someone, for example, is worshiping a God or worshiping God in their own fashion or some other God or whatever it may be, you know, it's completely wrong. be wrong. Mind you, I'm going to clarify this very, very carefully. This whole idea of the Torah and what God instructs us is not based for me, myself to enforce or you or you or, or you over there. Um, this is a community enforcement process. So for example, I can't go to my neighbors and say, you know what? You have a Christmas tree up there. Here's my sword and hack the head off. It doesn't work that way, okay? <laughs> that that, that would be murdering, <laughs> and definitely in our culture. Um, so yeah, it requires an actual trial. And it'd be really hard, I think, I could be wrong, to convince, like, for example, some county judges or county state judges to say, well, he has a Christmas tree up there, for he should be executed. But if you succeed in that, good luck. Um, the judges in our culture are not going to argue, are not going to agree with, oh, you put a Christian tree up, therefore, yeah, death penalty. No, go, go ahead and try if you want to, but uh, don't be afraid if you're the one who gets thrown in a loony bin, because they all not so well. Um, so well. Rules of enforcement and judgments are made by those who are put in that position.
2: I am not. And then when I am put in a position, I must follow the laws and land that are, that are written for me. I'm going to write my own. So
1: my laws of my land do not specify whether or not a Christmas tree is executable offense. It does not have that. In fact, it is not an executable offense. Therefore, I, I, as a just judge, cannot apply a law that the Torah has, but my laws of my nation do not have. I cannot apply a Torah law upon that individual. Unfortunately, that, that, that sword cuts both ways, so to speak. Um, in that if my nation has a law that I think is thoroughly wrong,
2: but I am a judge and I am applied or, or obligated to obey it, then guess what? I have to obey it. If I don't want to, quit. Resign. <laughs> Simple as that. I don't want to do this. I disagree
1: with it. I quit. He a pink slip or not pink slip. It's a resignation letter. Pink slip, you're fired. So a resignation letter. I might be fired too. <laughs> uh, Get re- I, I, I'm done. I can't do it. And that's fine. That's totally acceptable. You can resign if it's beyond what you can do. And that's, that, that's perfectly acceptable. For example, me personally, I would never do well as the person hired in California to execute inmates. I just can't do that. Now, some people can. And that's great, good for them. It's not in me. So therefore, I wouldn't apply to that job. If I wouldn't get it. But I wouldn't apply to that job. And if I did have the job, I'd say, you know what? I'm going to go early retirement. I'm going to go, you know, raise chickens. <laughs> do something else. Whatever it is, I will get out of the job because I can't do that. I would not apply or go to a job that I cannot fulfill. Therefore, if I'm going to be a judge and I cannot fulfill certain judgment that my laws and my state apply or require, that is beyond my personal moral character, I can't do this. Guess what? If I do a job, do something else. Uh, or if I'm a, a, a police officer or whatever else may be, if I can't do the job because it's beyond my moral abilities, hey, this is this is this is uncomfortable to me. I can't do this. Then quit, resign, do something else, retire. It's it's okay. That's not that's not a sin to say I can't break the law in this fa- fa- this fashion. Now, it's also, you could attempt if you're in these 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 fields. Say, well, is there something else I could do instead? Is there some alternate choice that's simple too? You could try that too. Right? I'm not going to argue because I'm not I'm not a civil servant. I don't ever have a desire to be one.
2: Yeah. okay, so let's move on. So, uh, inquire diligently
1: when there is an issue or in, you must investigate thoroughly and behold, must be true The verse four. If it is true, this is correct. That was in fact done. So, mind you, you don't get to make arbitrary decisions that you must require investigation. Hence, we have court systems and we have laws. We have investigators. We have police systems that to do precisely this and do the job well. Um, they removed the man from the city, yada, yada, pull up with stones. Uh, this, in uh, it, they all specify two or three witnesses to, to do this. They must be independent. If you will note in a, a, a historical examples, independent witnesses are critical. Dependent witnesses are worthless. Um, if I have you know Joe Shmuley and Bob Shmuley, our best friends, and they hang out together
2: and they both saw something and they both said, hey, I saw Janet Shmuley do something wrong. Uh, those two guys are one witness, and of course to the tourist concerned because
1: they were together, and they're best friends. Now, if Bob was on one side of the field and James from the other side of the field, they just and didn't see each other. They saw uh, Janet Schmulett do something wrong, and they didn't talk. They didn't say, "Hey, let's let's corroborate our stories. Let's verify." They did. They just said, oh, "We saw this." Now you have an example of two independent witnesses. You have the people who are truly independent. saw from two different vantage points. One of the things I happen to like about the, the Gospels, why they do not truly correlate exactly, they're close, mind you, but not exactly, because it tells you there's more than one witness of something. If you have two witnesses that have a duplicate story in every really relevant way, almost always there's something wrong. Because I can see something And I will bring with me my own perception, interpretation, and baggage. My wife can see the exact same thing. Have her own interpretation of baggage.
2: Our own way of looking at what we just saw and interpreting it. And we'll spell it out the way we interpret it. If we have the exact same story, one of us is lying. Most likely one of us is lying. But generally,
1: that's what happens. So we should have two viewpoints two perspectives the same event, and they'll have variations. It's okay. That's normal. Variations indicates you probably did not correlate your stories. That's a good thing. So, when you have two or three witnesses, in particular with death penalties, you better have two independent witnesses that do not correlate each other that thoroughly. They may be something, see something similar, but they can't be that correlated because something has got to be wrong. Uh, now, it is in Jewish tradition, I say tradition because there's, very, there's only a few, few. I think there's two, maybe three, examples of trials took place where witnesses were actually brought forward and they demonstrated this person actually was supposed to be executed they did so. But most of the time, they are unsuccessful in getting two or three independent witnesses. Most of the time.
2: It's hard to do. It's hard to prove someone worthy of death. And it's better to choose to err on the of caution than not. Better
1: have an innocent person, sorry, a guilty person live than an innocent person die. Same principle. We have the same idea today in our, in our, in our own uh, courses of a whole beyond reasonable doubts. You cannot have, if you have any reasonable doubt, the theory going is, now we can debate what's reasonable, but uh, that you're, you're not supposed to put the person, you're not supposed to, to, to have them commit guilty. And death penalty case is pretty severe. So we have examples of this too. Um, let's see here. Good ones are let's go back to first Kings 21. First Kings 21 is an example of
2: uh death penalty example. So First Kings 21. Now th- I, I admit there I I did not find
1: I could not think of one of an example in our Bibles that had uh Two witnesses are witnesses against somebody, and they were found innocent because the witnesses were not verified. Uh, most of the examples of the Bible I can find and, and, and search out for, they were false witnesses. And the person was killed anyway. Uh, great story, right? So First Kings 21, starting in verse 1. Now, mind you, this is the middle of the, the life of King Ahab and Jezebel, which we know him as... as a notorious individuals. So 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1, it says, It came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house. And for it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its worth in money. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went to his house, sullen and displeased, because of the word which Naboth, the Jesuit, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He laid down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel's wife came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the said and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. He answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel's wife said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise and eat food and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Pause. So in this story, obviously we have an example of Ahab trying to do something he's not not supposed to do. He tried. The person said no. Now note, I had mentioned before that we're, the kings are supposed to write a copy of the Torah. Let's read it. Now, Granted, right, Ahab was the king of the northern Israel, but the rule still applies. He's supposed to write a copy of the Torah so that they do not become haughty, their heart, over their people that they're supposed to rule over. That's the idea. You don't lift yourself up. Well, Jezebel doesn't come from the Israelites. She is a queen from Israel the Phoenician queen or, or the, the Lebanon, Lebanon territory. Well, in their viewpoint of a king or queens, kings mostly, they're complete absolute authority, there is nothing wrong they can do. Zero. It doesn't matter who they murder, kill, steal, rape, they have zero wrongness. It's not possible. So
2: in Jezebel's viewpoint, her worldview, the king wants this, so we'll take it. It's yours. You can't do anything. The person can do nothing about it. They have no authority to, to, to deny you. And of course, Ahab, knowing
1: he is Israelite and knowing the instructions of God, was depressed because he knew he had to buy it or make an exchange or be given to him freely
2: of the own free will of Naboth. He couldn't force it because kings can't force it. But at Jezebel's viewpoint, you're a king to whatever your heart desires. It's different viewpoints, right? And so her says, this is ridiculous.
1: You have, she, her example was, verse seven, you now exercise all authority over Israel. You could do anything you want. Arise, eat, and I'll give you the vineyard. So she wrote a letter to Ahab in Ahab's name, seal with them his seal, sent letters to the elders of the nobles who were in dwelling in the city of Naboth. She wrote the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. Seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed
2: God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of the city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of the
1: city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, and it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and sent to bath with high honor among the people, and two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against, against him against the Both in the presence of the people, saying Naboth has blasphemed God and King. They took him out of the city and stoned him with stones, so that he died. They said to Jezebel, saying Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And in the pass, when Jezebel had heard the Both had been stoned, and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, rise, take possession of the vineyard of the Both the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but now is dead. So was it Ahab heard Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, That Ahab got up Went down to position in the vineyard under the Bath the Jezreelite. I'm going to stop there, there. I'm going to continue on because the rest of it is, is, is
2: another interaction. So, the example of we had two witnesses against the Bath. Well, it's all it took, right? What's the rule? Two witnesses, they must be independent. Well, these are two different people, but they have to be
1: investigated. It's a diligent process. Now, I want to ask you, who's
2: responsible? Let me say, oh, well, it's Jezebel or Ahab. Who was responsible for the Naboth? Well, Ahab, he's one of them. What about the men of the city? Who was complicit? Who followed suit? Who carried it out? Yeah, it's more than just Ahab alone. He was an unjust judge, a bad king. She was a bad queen. But the men of the city, the elders, they could have said no. They could have
1: warned the Ba'ath, hey, by the way, this is what the king said to you. Now, granted, they didn't, it specifies it was in Ahab's name and his seal. They would not necessarily know that Jezebel did it. They may have assumed Ahab did it, but it makes a difference. They could have just told the Ba'ath, hey, by the way, this is what's going on. Tell the truth. But they failed also. So we have not just a failure of the ultimate judges, in this case, the king and queen, if the individual city judges too, the elders and such, which is the responsibility to be just. So just judges and officers, it's important to make sure that they, it's
2: across the board, not just individuals, but everybody. They all work together. Make sense? All right, move on. Uh, let's see here. Uh, bypass, jump through. We go a little bit. Wow, almost out of time here.
1: Uh, I'm going to skip to some of the stuff, so don't forget. I me a little bit. I'm going to just I'm going to use these as examples only because you already know them, so this won't be shocking to you. Um, we have uh, the, obviously the example of Messiah before before the judges of his day, and of course when they, when they were the, 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 the high high priest, the witnesses the Sanhedrin of course witness against him. They said they sought false witnesses. They couldn't find that many. They had a few. They weren't really that reliable. Blah blah blah. And and then the council. This is uh, Matthew chapter twenty six, for example. The corrupt high priest. They points out. The, are you God, are you, Son of God? just snow yes. Therefore, that that's it. I'll talk. Let's kill him now. We have examples of also not only that we also have examples in the Book of Acts uh, when the judges instructed the apostles, in the case of Peter and I think somebody else, or the other person was with him, to no longer speak in the name of God, or in the name of Messiah. That is not God, but in the name of Messiah. And of course, they disobeyed. So the examples of just and unjust things going on here. We have witnesses or false witnesses in order to accomplish an ends and an end goal and also obviously kill individuals. I'm not going to read through all of them because it gets rather lengthy. Um, I have a question for you though.
2: This is where it gets a little, a little a little hairy. When a just when a judge is unjust, makes an unjust ruling that is wrong, immoral, corrupt. What do you do when it's against you? We say well, we appeal. We can we can do that now. They couldn't always appeal then. I bring that up because, for example, um, the,
1: the, the, it says, it, it, example in, in chapter uh, 18, 17, it, it says, you shall not
2: deviate right or left from everything they tell you. What did the apostles do? They said you are not to speak in this name again, Messiah's name again. What they do? They did it anyway. That's an interesting problem. Interesting scenario. So you broke the Torah because you are not allowed to deviate from what they judge you in order to do what is right. Interesting problem. You think about that for a minute. What does it tell us? It tells us that there are laws and instructions of the Torah to follow.
1: However, there are also examples where you must break or violate them to do what is right.
2: It's an interesting concept. We have to define what is and isn't right, what the objective is. But the point is, there are instances
1: which such things do occur. I have to break the Torah in order to follow the Torah, to declare or speak in God's name, what he said and what he did. So, it's an interesting problem, but keep in mind, those things do exist. The Torah is not a method that is to, to be used against someone in that capacity. The judges made an unjust ruling, and them knowing the law, knowing the people were not allowed to violate their judgment, they specified, they know they, these guys all memorized the Torah. They know what the Torah said. They can recite, it, recite it verbatim. They don't even read the thing. They have it all well, well done. These are the smart individuals, so to speak. I use the term smart loosely. Uh, that that,
2: that they have these instructions memorized, but in this instance, the book of Acts in particular, they have to violate it in order to obey. it. They disagree with the corrupt judge in order to
1: follow the true judge, which is God himself. Which is an interesting problem.
2: So it tells us um, that we have judges here on earth, but remember, they're still men. They're still human. So it's really important to not forget they're still human. They can still make
1: the same mistakes you and I can make. They can still be biased and show preference the same way you and I can show bias and preference. So even when you're up against an unjust judge, yeah, you be very, very careful. You walk in fine line now. But
2: some instances, you don't have a choice to matter. You're forced to violate because the judge overall, God himself, rules it. And trust that it's right. If you're wrong, guess what? Well, the judge overall
1: corrects you, and sometimes not so kindly. <laughs> but uh, either way, the point is that there are instances we have to pay attention to. There is just judgment and there is unjust judgment. There are just judges and there are unjust judges. And when you run across an unjust judge, you're very, very careful, to determine exactly whether it truly is unjust, not just your emotional opinion or belief. What is the value here? What should I obey or should I disobey? There's a difficulty to do, but you have to do it. Because sometimes it happens. That's part of life. Um, So don't forget that there are instances where it is more right to break the Torah than it is to follow it.
2: It Sounds strange, but some instances based on certain circumstances, which you have a corrupt individual, for example, as a judge, you have to break it. What if a judge orders? Oh, sorry, Ann, you have your hand up? Unmute yourself, I can't hear you. Yes, yeah, so can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Go ahead. Okay, so when Solomon said, cut the baby in half, in half, so thou shalt not kill, but that was a better thing yeah. for the justice issue between two people.
1: It's strange. Yeah, exactly. He's going a break break a, a, a command. Thou shalt not murder. Killing a citizen child who had no 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 fault of his own. And break a command in order to get what is truly just. It's quite fascinating. Now, he didn't actually physically kill the child. But the point is, he would have potentially. I think he would have if it was unsuccessful because he already or he already ordered it. But uh, it being a very wise individual, he was out to outsmart the woman. But the point is that. He used an example of, if we think that, that's repulsive. You can't do that. Yeah. But you're breaking the Torah in order to follow the Torah.
2: Right. That's
1: right. So why we have judgments. That's so why we have judges. When they make difficult decisions, they're not so easy. As Moses pointed out, when you have a task that is too hard for you, it's too difficult for you bring the one that is greater, in this case, the, the Torah says bring the high priest. But the point is you bring it up to the who, who can figure these things out that are that can do the difficult decision-making. And it's not so easy to say everything's black and white. Well, sometimes you have to actually break the rules in order to get the rules followed. That's strange.
0: But sometimes yes. it happens. And, and it's interesting with the... Example of uh, Solomon and the the mothers, one actual, one supposed, is that that movement against the Torah was to push them to actually follow the Torah to stop lying. <laughs> what you had just what you just mentioned, and yeah. that when you say in our particular country, when you read the Declaration of Independence, that in a sense was using force to push people to do right because when they list all the various grievances in there that was a method to push the push the empire of england to do the right thing which actually it eventually started doing you know when you started seeing in the original uh, first draft of the Declaration of Independence when they were talking about, you know, this supposed Christian king and enslaving people and this and that. And then you see what ended up happening in England with Wilberforce, et cetera, that led to the abolishment of slavery in the English Empire. So it took the force of the revolution and the ideals that were expressed through it to push the the empire to do the right thing eventually. Basically, how that works. It's quite interesting. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna, but one, one, of the, one of the things that you might here. say is uh, very important in that is um, that in a sense, you almost need two witnesses in your, even though it's not expressed as such, you really are, the, the good wisdom is to have two witnesses in your decision to move against Right. The, it's uh, not your personal Established opinion. order. Right. You know, because anyone can just say, Hey, well, it's my right and this and that. Well, you need to check that idea and really investigate it thoroughly before you just head off and do something.
1: Otherwise you have riots in, 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 in Seattle and riots in, in, in Portland and riots. Yeah. huh? <laughs> but we don't have that, right?
2: <laughs> no, no that they don't happen. exist.
1: They don't exist. <laughs> don't look behind the curtain. Um yeah, it, 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 is not a, it is not an arbitrary decision to break against the instructions. It is a very, very difficult decision to make. And it's important to do not forget. It's not just an arbitrary decision making. Um, I'm going to skip to some of this stuff because I don't have time to cover all of it. So forgive me on some of this stuff. I apologize. Uh, let's see here. We've got. I'm going to jump down to the uh, uh, prophets or necromancers and everything else going on here. So in this story, this jumps down to chapter 18. I'm going to to skip the rest of chapter 17. Uh, The instructions here for uh, prophets and and what you will or will not do as far as uh, uh, soothsayers and all that kind of garbage. So the basic principle is that uh, in this instruction here, we have prophets, of course, are instructed to be descendants or of their brethren. That's uh, verse basically 15 to 20 you have to have your brethren. So if you're a prophet that is a prophet of another country, another nation, another, 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 another genealogy, another family, tribe, whatever, uh, that is not classified as a prophet to Israel. They may be a prophet of their own country, but not to Israel. So it comes to Israel, they are to be a prophet of Israelites, so they must be an Israelite descendant, whether whatever tribe makes some very little difference. But an Israelite descendant must be part of the prophecy, prophets themselves uh, in order or to be classified as a prophet. Uh, anybody else may not, may, may not be considered as one. And this simulation require, applies to all prophets, not just as it is commonly done as Messiah, which is obviously spelled in, in many ways spelled out here. This groups all prophets are grouped in this category, um, that they are to be of your brethren, not a Gentile. Uh, so they has come with 13, 13 tribes, and they must speak what they speak must be true. If it comes out false, they are of speaking of their own accord, not of uh, God's instruction or God's, God's words. Uh, if you choose to try to find the future some of the method mind you it is the human condition to know what's
2: going to happen tomorrow we always want to know what's in our future right who doesn't we know the present we know the past the future we want the future is not given to us that's gods so what do we do we go find diviners. People talk to dead people, prophets, people who, who analyze and predict,
1: figure out what the future going to hold. What should I invest in? What should I not invest in? What's, what, 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 what's doing well today? What's not doing well? Is the fire going to reach my house today?
2: Is it not? <laughs> that kind of thing. We always want to know our future. And God said, No, it's not yours to know. Whatever you do know, I will speak through a prophet,
1: which is of your brethren, and thus of an Israelite. And it is a method here, instructions for how to deal with false prophets. Of course, you are to execute or remove them. Because someone can predict the future, doesn't make him a prophet. I can predict what will happen tomorrow. doesn't mean to say, if I'm right, because I predicted correctly, doesn't make me a prophet. I'm just predicting. Um, so don't, just, don't mix them up. Don't get them uh, mixed together. Uh, it is a harsh correction if you are a false prophet. Unlike our modern day, which is a very lucrative business to be a false prophet, just look around, make a lot of money off of it. At that time, it was not intended to be a lucrative business. It was not a business model to mimic. It was one which was to be destroyed. And that's hence to destroy it. So when we deal with profits versus predictors today, mind you, I'm not saying there aren't any profits today. I'm not saying there are or aren't. It's not my business. The point is, uh, predictors and profits have similar scenarios. They try to tell you what the future is going to hold, whether it be one thing or another, voices, visions, whatever. Just you can imagine things pop up in people's heads or whether they ate you know, too much pizza last night and they have a new vision or whether there's some other reason, who knows. Um, or they have their lower their bank account. Their bank account might be low. So hey, I need to predict a few things to get my bank
2: account up so uh, people can pay me with some money. That happens too. I'm sure there's a few of those. Um, I, I personally cannot tell
1: you what you should or shouldn't do. Um, I, generally speaking, personally, reject whole, wholly uh, profits and individuals who predict the future. Um, I do admit that I can be wrong. I do, realize People are smarter than I am, and I'm not that smart when it comes to number of people. And some of them are good analysts and can determine most likely occurrence in the future, in the near future, because they can analyze a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not an analyst. I don't predict stuff. But uh, as general speaking, uh, there are people who are smarter than me,
2: and I admit that. Some people may prophesy, and I don't know about it. That's perfectly fine. So I usually use my Torah filter. My Torah filter is if God wants to speak to me via a prophet, tell me to be a prophet, what kind of life does that prophet live? Because if God's going to tell me to be a prophet, just a huge example, he'd tell Daniel, clean up your act first.
1: If you're going to represent me in my words, make sure your life
2: is clean. And so that generally filters out almost every prophet I've ever heard of. Because very very few of them are that good
1: in their own personal lives to tell me how to fix my life. There's a little speck in your eye, a plant, speck in your neighbor's neighbor's eye, and, and plank in yours. Okay, prophet. Yeah, I'll tell me what I should do in the future. I'll, I'll fix myself. And look, but uh, have have you looked in the mirror recently? <laughs> just, just curious. Yeah, what's your life look like? Um, I'm not saying that people cannot God can't speak to others who who, who may live varying lifestyles or, or methods or understandings. The point is, I tend to focus more uh, attention upon those who are followers of the Torah and followers of God's instruction on how to live. I'll give them their analysis, their predictions, a few more minutes of thought versus those who live whatever life they so choose or deem worthy. But either way, um, I have yet to meet a prophet I've, that I've, I'm sure there may be one, but I have met one, haven't seen one, haven't heard of one, haven't read about one. They thought in the last couple thousand years. But if you do, uh, let me know. I'm curious. Anyway, let's move on. So uh, when it comes to judgments, the last
2: thing I want to end on, yeah, ju- I'll, I'll end with this topic. Um, we have a prison system. Not me personally, but I think mean, it's far as you. Know. Nations do. I don't have one. That would be weird. <laughs>
1: so, nations have a prison system. <laughs> The prison system is not open to the public, which means I can't just walk in, lock myself up, and unlock myself whenever I feel like it. It doesn't work that way. I can't go and say, "Hey, you know, uh, Bob Shrewley's uncle, uh, you know, uh, stubbed my toe when a cut off his head, his head because he he hurt me." Yeah. It, it, no, it doesn't work that way. So when someone does something wrong and they determine it was wrong, they either go to jail or if it's a temporary thing or prison. Or something. I, I'm not a prison guards. Somebody smarter than me knows this stuff, more better than I do. But the point is, it's not open to the public. Back in the Torah, they didn't have a prison system. It wasn't a lock behind bars. So if you do something wrong, in this case, it deals with murder most often, as opposed to like, you know, stealing per se. If you do something wrong, they use the city as a refuge you got to live in. It's like a confined community. You can still buy, sell, and and, and make money, make a living, and, and take care of your wife and kids, or, or, or if you're a woman, you're a kid whatever, you can be the slave you want to be. It doesn't make a difference. The point is, you can still live and still exist. Uh, it didn't require the government to pay you to live like we do today. We, our government pays the prisoners. They pay them with their food and their clothing and the air conditioning, if they have any. They probably all have air conditioning now. Um, and, uh, and heat, too, when it gets really cold. And the cable. So they have a lot of things available to them. I'm sure not all of them have that. I think a lot of them do. Um, anyway, uh, they have all these, these, these uh, amenities which they don't pay a dime for. Now, in the prison system, the, the Bible tells it no, no, no. You want those things? That's fine. Go pay for them yourself. Go you get a job. <laughs> Go work them. You can't leave the city until your trial has been had and they determine you're guilty or innocent and what your punishment happens to be or not. It, 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 it depends on how, how, they may say, you know what, you did murder the guy, yet yeah, your execution is the requirement, so therefore you don't live long. But the point is, that's their prison system, and it's based on the cities. Now, you as an individual can enter the city and act in the city if you're not the guilty one. Um, and you can't as a murderer, or sorry, as an avenger of blood. So unlike today, when, when we have to execute somebody, we hire a guy, not like, you know, a hitman, we hire a guy in the, the prison system to, to do the execution. process. Here's the injection, here's the pill, or here's the throw the switch, or whatever they do. I don't know. Uh, they don't shoot guns anymore. Uh, but whatever they used to do, uh, they, that's they do that. They hire a guy. Well, back in the tour, they didn't do that. Because the guy you hire today in the prison system, he really doesn't have an emotional attachment or an anger to the individual he has to kill. Or she has to kill. It could be a female. There is no, there's no desire to kill. There's no sense of avengefulness or, 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 sorry, uh, uh, vindication or, or what's the right word? It's uh, getting back at, whatever it is. They don't have that. But vengeance. Uh, that, thank you. Vengeance. So, uh, they don't, so this time they did have that style. That's how it was done. We don't do it today, of course, anymore. But the, it, the, the, the the relative, the person who, who would kill or execute the individual, they don't get to do it inside the city because then they feel it's classified as murder because you can't murder somebody because it's against the law, then you're a murderer too, then you would to stay in the city because then you're a murderer and then they're... You know, they're never, it's, like, it's like a gang's thing going on back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Anyhow, so that's how the system was supposed to work and how it was intended to work. Is that necessarily a bad system? Making prisoners actually work for their existence? It might be some beneficial, but that's <laughs> just my opinion. Uh, hey, you want to be in prison? That's fine. Here's your job. Uh, and here's a hard job, like here's actually earns money kind of thing. But these these individuals were also allowed to bring their families in and live with their families and raise their kids in the cities too, if they need be. But that's how it's supposed to work. The one interesting interesting thing I I find in this Torah portion of chapter 19 was that uh, you could not just say, oh, I forgive them.
2: Because an individual who murders somebody doesn't get to just say, well, I forgive you. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, This is
1: because it points out you will not have uh, innocent blood on the land. So a murderer actually has to be executed, whether we want to do it or not. You can't just forgive and forget. Even though years might go by and your anger may be subsided, your upsetness may, may diminish. It doesn't really matter. A murder is still a murder and you don't get to just let it pass on and move on. Because then the bloods of the land, the bloods, contaminated, blood the land is then contaminated, and God says, uh, "Get out! You, you're worthless to me." It's an interesting, interesting system as far as how they have, and I have, I have not found any record of how or, or whether this was ever actually done. Meaning the the, the whole, you know, this uh, uh, is refuge ever actually done? There's no record. I haven't found Maybe if one of you have a record of that, great. But I've never found one, and there might be, but I just haven't found it. Yes, Larry,
2: your hand is up.
0: I'm worrying about what Messiah said when he was being crucified.
2: Which, one, which, 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 which comment?
0: Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do.
1: Right. That's an interesting concept. So he himself forgave the, asked God to forgive them. And I, but I, I will be honest, I don't know that that actually occurred. Meaning, meaning did God forgive them or not? I don't really know. Um, those individuals who did the actual execution process, I'm not sure. I say that because of what John the Baptist had said to them prior to that. Uh, his comment in Matthew 3 uh, regarding his the, na- the nature of uh, forgiveness and uh, of vipers that they the whole comment who warned you. Uh, that's that that comment implies. I mean, the implication of that comment means what you have done cannot be forgiven which is very fascinating. We don't think of an idea of something someone can do that can be forgiven. Well, to the Baptist was pointing out, you can't ask for forgiveness for what you've done. And they didn't even kill the guy yet. They were still working their way up to it. Messiah wasn't dead. It's just the stuff that they've done up to that point. was 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 pointing out who warned you that you be saved from this, meaning implied you're a viper. You're actually not going to get saved from this. So, it, there is a question there. I do find a question. I don't know if God truly forgave them or didn't. Um, based on what happened, you know, about 25 years later, three years later, I'd say, yeah, they're all dead. So maybe not. Uh, yes, Teresa.
2: Well, on his comment, I would say that Jesus, of course, was saying, forgive them
1: to probably reveal his heart. But also the fact was he still had to die. He still had to die in place of all those people that were right then and there being forgiven for they know not what they did, he was still dying for that, the sin of it. So regardless of whether God forgave us or not, of course he does because we've put our faith in Christ and are keeping Torah,
2: but Christ still had to die. Mm So It's a requirement. Yeah. It's a requirement. Exactly.
0: It may have been that he was talking about the guys who were actually doing Carrying out the sentence, maybe that's yes, what he was talking about.
1: That could be too. That could be too. I don't know. It, it does not appear that the leadership ever repented, per se, of any of that. There's no, there's no to, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a record <laughs> of that anywhere of their leadership. Oh, we were so wrong. We're so sorry. You know, God forgive uh, I, I didn't. I have not found to, in, 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 anywhere in, in, in the Talmud or any other commentary regarding this topic that they ever said, "Whoops." Uh, yes, arose. Uh,
2: Well, Christ said, I am the door, and no one comes to the Father except through me.
1: So by going to the cross, he opened the door. Uh, I don't believe they were forgiven at that point. I believe when when God calls you and you come to the realization of your sins and you ask for forgiveness, that's when you are forgiven. When you actually make that point. So Christ became our provision. He opened that door so that we could walk through and receive that provision. But I don't think we receive it prior to repentance. I wouldn't think so either. And so those individuals, since there's no indication of ever repenting, I, I say no indication, maybe some, but I haven't found any. Um, they, they, may, they may have lived the rest of their life uh, content with what they had done.
2: Uh, what was the question again? Whether they re- received their repentance or not?
1: I do not know. It, we, you don't, we don't need to know. It's, it's, not, it's true. It's not, it's not, it's not relevant to, to, to Messiah's story that it's true. I mean, it's a question about whether or not Messiah's comment of God freely them what they've done, what they don't to do, do, what that mean? I was taking the whole question.
2: Sure.
1: We, we today we don't need to know. But my point, my point is that we don't need to know. It's not relevant to the story of what Messiah did, whether or not God forgave the individual or not. And it's right, because he doesn't tell us their story. We live our own story. We live our own life. They live their life, whatever it was. We live our lives, whatever it is. And we don't necessarily have to interact and find out details of nitty gritty of who got forgiven, who didn't. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, once we figure it out at the end, we'll see. But uh, it is an interesting, interesting question. But so, I, I'm not sure the details of Messiah's comment there uh, as far as who to say he was, was referring to. I believe Stephen made a similar comment. I think, I think he did. Uh, I think he made something similar. I don't remember off the top of my head his exact wording uh, when he, when he was being stoned. Uh, but either way, whether or not forgiveness was given at that time or not, I can't say because I wasn't there. So we're going to end with this topic. Uh, I don't have to, I'm going to cover this 21 or the fruit tree thing or the bulwarks and such. Those aren't, aren't part of our 12 portion. Well, they are, but I'm not going to cover them today because I'm out of time. Any comments or questions? I apologize. Took way too long on all this stuff. Took forever. Um, any of the things I can share with
2: you, or the questions you had that I didn't answer? There's probably a few, but oh well. Any comments or questions? We're going to end this thing, otherwise. All right, we'll close the prayer. Almighty God, pray our great Father, thank you for our Shabbat day of rest, or time to worship and
1: understand and listen, to study and to comprehend Your ways. Father, may You continue to bless us and help us to follow what is fair and just. Oh, Father, may you bless us throughout this week, coming time we have with the rest of the world we interact with. Father, may you continue to help us be just people, to, make, to be wise individuals, to make judgments that you would be content with. Father, for you are our judge, we wish to be like you as best we can. Let we ask you to bless us and keep us safe and bless the time we have with one another That we share the good things you, you've brought to us in our lives.